All right, church, man, it's a blessing to be here today, isn't it? I, um, the, the whole month and a half that are, I don't know, it was eight weeks, I think, in total, or seven weeks. On the eighth week, we had a service, but in those times where there was no service and there was no fellowship of the saints, it was a difficult time for myself, and I also heard it was a difficult time for uh, most of the people here at the church. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that I think we take for granted, or we took for granted, um, until it was taken away from us, and then at that point, uh, we missed it. So it's true that even in the good, bad, and ugliness of life, God uses those things to sanctify us and grow us and help us. So all those things are uh, uh, they're, they're wonderful uh, to go through because we are the Lord's. And uh, again, it's just good to see everybody. And we're going to continue our, our sermon series today in um, the, the Gospel of John. And the, the title of the sermon series, if you will, is Believe. And there are three things that are, that are found in chapter 12, John chapter 12, that, um, that challenge us as, as the readers of God's word to believe in Christ as the Son of God and Savior of the world. Last week we talked about how if we are going to uh, believe in him, we have to be like him. So in essence, it was saying that we have to walk in his ways. Uh, today, we're going to talk about seeing, believing is, is seeing, seeing his glory, and uh, that's going to be the focus of, of today's sermon. Next week, we're going to talk about hearing, hearing his word, walking, seeing, hearing, all these things uh, are, are, go together and are included in believing in him as son of God and savior of the world. Uh, so here's my objective, objective today. In John chapter 12, I want to read to you verses 36 through 43, or actually 37 to 43. And then I want to talk to you about the significance of Jesus hiding from the people uh, in our passage. Then I want to also talk to you about um, the people, how they saw Christ, yet they did not believe in him as uh, the son of God and savior of the world. And I also want to talk to you about the significance of that and how that is Played out, being played out today in our, in our lives, in our society. And then I want to talk to you about the people, um, the reason why they didn't see Christ as the Son of God and Savior of the world is because they were blinded by their sin. So that's what I, I hope to accomplish with you today. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles to John chapter 12, and I want to read from verse 37 through uh, 43 uh, this morning says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That is the word of the Lord. So the very first thing we see here is... Um, we open up our, our passage in verse 37, um, and in verse 37, we see that there is non-belief, and 
there is there's non-belief to what Jesus has has done and what he has said. Uh, but if we would back up just one more verse, we'll get a better context of what's going on here and also why Jesus did what he did in verse 36. Um, and that kind of sets up the rest of, 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 our, of our section of passage. So in the previous verse, uh, we see that Jesus warns uh, the people about the dangers of unbelief. And he does this in verse uh, 35 and also verse uh, 36. Uh, Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Um, the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. And then in verse 36, he tells them, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become the sons of the light. And then at the very end of verse 36, this is where Jesus hides from uh, the people after he finishes speaking to them. He says, when Jesus, the Bible says, when Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself uh, from them. So uh, Jesus tells them that, that he gives them a warning. He tells them, I'm only going to be here with you for a little while longer. And they are challenged with believing in him uh, before he is gone. And he is speaking about his crucifixion here. And the, the fact that he's going to be here for only for a little while longer, he's talking about this last week of his earthly ministry and how he's going to go to the cross and he's going to, uh, you know, he's going to be buried and then he's going to rise and he will be gone. And he's given them an opportunity to believe in him as the son of God and savior of the world. He's given them many signs at, at, up to this point so that they would believe in his power and they would believe that he's just not just not a teacher not a prophet, but something greater than that. And so he's warning them that he is going to be here only a little while longer, and they must believe in him uh, so that the darkness, and darkness is related to sin here, so that the darkness does not overtake them. Uh, I told you last week that the Greek for overtake is master. So what he's saying is that you must believe before your sin masters you. Because when I am gone, it's going to be that much more harder for you to believe. Uh, so in verse 36, he tells them, if you receive Christ as Lord, then you will be considered sons of God. Now, after this, it's pretty, I don't know, it's kind of, it's peculiar that at the end of uh, verse 36, that Jesus gives them this warning and then he hides himself from the crowd. Now, I, I, I think when I see that in scripture and how Jesus hides himself, it reminds me of, of one of my favorite pastimes with my own kids. We, we love to play hide and seek. And, you know, the premise of the game is someone counts and then everybody else goes and hides. Then you go out, you seek them out, and you try to find them. Now, I don't think that, that Christ was playing a hide and seek game with, uh, with this crowd. I think it was, it was more than that. Uh, it wasn't like he, like, like he tricked them and went and hid and then they, they, everybody was searching for, them, for him and he couldn't find them. I actually think this was a glimpse of his glory that he was displaying where he just was gone. I, I can't explain it. Scripture doesn't give it to us. We don't know if he just disappeared. We don't know what happened. But we also know that he has done this several times in the Gospels where they were out to, they were out to arrest him or they were out to harm him and then he's just gone. And you can see the writers, they, they have no way to describe like how it happens. It just says 
he was gone or he hid or they try their best to, to describe it. But I think this is one of those instances where Jesus uh, showed a glimpse of his glory and was just simply gone. And his hiding himself had more significance than, than we would like to think. Uh, because if you paid attention to what Jesus had just told them and how he just warned them and then he hid himself, it, it, really, uh, it really brings things full circle for us. See, because after the signs, in verse 37, it tells us that uh, after all the signs that he had performed, it tells us that they, uh, the people still did not believe in him. Well, what does that mean? Well, they didn't believe in him as the son of God, as the savior of the world. They did not believe in him as, as God in the flesh. Now, they may have believed in him as a teacher, as a prophet. Um, they may have accepted him in those ways, but he was not the Messiah that was prophesied from the Old Testament. They did not uh, accept him as that. So Jesus has done all these things, and these people have still have not believed. And Jesus hiding, hiding from them, it seems to confirm the words that he had just spoken in verse 35. Look at verse 35, where he warns them and he tells them, the light is among you uh, for a little while longer. So the light is Christ, and he is saying, I'm only going to be here for a little while longer. Now, something we have to think about here is that that public address to the people, him preaching to the people, was his last before he went to the cross. So Jesus is right there speaking to them, and he's saying, you know, you need to, before the darkness overtakes you, you need to see me as who I am. You need to accept me. You need to believe in me. Because I'm only here for a little while longer. Steps off. They can no longer find him. And now they're left to their own devices. Jesus, and what I mean by that is that Jesus is not going to be teaching them any longer. That was his last teaching, his last sermon that he was giving, that he had given. So in, in, in essence, Jesus had just given them their last warning. I think about that and how impactful that is for any of us today. Now, I want you to think about this. Like if you leave today, this is the last time that you'll hear the gospel. If you leave today and, and for some reason it's time for you to go home. This is the last time you hear the gospel. Think about that, how profound that is. What have you done with what you've heard? Now we're seeing this, we're seeing a, a crowd of people who are, who are hearing Jesus' last sermon to them, his last teaching to them. What have they done with what they heard? So every time we hear the gospel, every time we hear the good news, we have to do something with it. Now, after hiding himself from them, they no longer heard his words. They no longer saw his signs. Basically, they would have to remember and respond. That's what they would have to do. Now, as I look at that passage, I think it's a good reminder for us. It's a grim reminder for them, but it's a good reminder for us of the swiftness of God's judgment. See, Jesus was talking to the crowd, and again, he says, I'm only going to be here a little while longer. You better watch the darkness, watch your sin. It's going to overtake you. It's going to master you. And then immediately after he speaks to them, he's gone. And he wasn't speaking cold to them. He was actually tell, telling them, 
I'm literally going to be gone after I, I preach this message to you. Again, the people didn't know that. They just knew that he'd be gone in a little while. Well, what's, what's the, the, the promise of God now? That, that Christ is going to come back like a thief in the night. And we are told that we are living in the last days. And we are also told that no one knows the exact day when that's going to happen. So we're just like them, in essence. We have something to be thinking about. We have something that should be on our mind every single day. Now the question is, are we prepared? Have we placed our faith in the only one who can save us? Those are the things that we must be thinking about. Because God's judgment, it, it, it is sure. Um, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to read you an example, an illustration of, of, of this here. Um, to remind us about God's judgment. What God says he will do, he will do. 2 Peter chapter 3. And I want to read for you verses 9 uh, through 13 this morning. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. First of all, let me just say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. We're, we're all witnesses of that, right? Because the Lord has been patient with us and has given us the opportunity. He has led us to Christ. But let's continue. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. It will come. If you've ever been certain about anything, there's only one thing that is 100% certain, and that's any promise that God makes. It will happen. And he's saying that the day, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now listen to verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? And that's the exact question we just asked ourselves. God has given us this promise. He has said, I will do this. Christ will return. What have we done with what we've just heard? In the light of what we just read, what kind of people should we be? Well, Scripture answers that. It says, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. I think that's a great reminder for us today. Every time we hear the gospel, every time we leave church, every time we're reminded that Christ is coming, is coming back, we need to think about what kind of people we ought to be, how we ought to live, passage talks about how people just be you know they'll be going about their daily business 
when the Lord, when the Lord returns. The Bible tells us not to be caught asleep, but to be ready for his return. Also, we see in our passage, not only did Jesus hide from them, but um, we also see the fact that the people saw, they saw everything he did, and yet they did not believe. Right? So we cover that in verse 37. And John here recalls for us some Old Testament uh, prophecies to explain why the people would not remember and how, why they would not respond. He tells us that. See, the first prophecy is found in verse 38. So turn back with me to John chapter 12 and uh, verse 38. Find my place. It says here, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah Isaiah, uh, might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So that's the first prophecy that uh, John brings to mind as he's seeing these events unfold. He sees Jesus speaking to the crowd, and then he sees him. And then he, he sees him disappear. He sees the unbelief of the crowd, and then the Holy Spirit brings this to Isaiah's or to uh, John's mind, and it is a quote from Isaiah, and he brings this to his mind, and it is very profound because this quote in Isaiah fifty three one it foretells two things that would happen when Christ would come. It it foretells that the people would not believe what they heard, number one, and we see that throughout the whole Gospel of John, that Jesus is teaching and his teaching is profound. It's like no one else's, and yet they do not believe. And then the second thing that this prophecy foretells is that the people would not believe the signs, the miracles that Jesus would perform. When it talks about the arm of the Lord, that's what it's talking about. His miracle, his signs, his power. The power that is displayed in what he does. Even though they would see it, they would not believe in him as the son of God. So let's think about this, though. Let's think about what they actually saw. And yet they still did not believe. I want to go through just the highlights of of John with you real quick and some of the the major miracles that Christ performed. First of all, in chapter 2, he changed water into wine. There was that miracle. There was plenty of people there. It was a wedding. He did it. Everybody was amazed. But yet there were some that still did not believe. Also, the healing of the the nobleman's son in chapter uh, 4, verses 46 through 54. People were there, they saw it, and some believed, but many did not. Uh, the healing of the lame man in chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. The feeding of the multitude, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. The healing of the blind man, chapter 9. And then the raising of Lazarus, chapter 11. Now, we think about all those different things. How would you respond if you saw those things? Would you believe? Well, we'd like to think so. We'd like to think that we would believe. But only the Lord knows. You see, because it's hard for, it's, it's hard for us to believe that after witnessing everything that they did, that, 
that all these people did that they still did not believe in him. But it really did happen, and it was foretold by God that it would happen. The miracles that they saw were just enormous. They were just profound. They showed power that had never been seen before. And yet, people questioned if Christ was God in the flesh. See, things like that still happen. See, it's very easy for us to put, place ourselves in that time period and say, well, I would have, I would have believed. I definitely would have believed. If, if, I mean, because haven't you ever prayed that before where you're just like, and it's not a good way to pray, but I know we've all done it. God, show me a sign. I, I want to do this or I want to do this. I don't know which one to do. God, show me a sign. And we think that if we have this sign from God, that it would, just, it would just make everything clear. Well, here's proof it doesn't. Here's proof. Someone was raised from the dead, and still people did not believe. So if we are going to say, well, if I were there, I, I would have believed. Well, there are things that are happening today, and yet it just goes right by people. People miss it. They don't see it. Turn with me to uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me give you an example of that today. Second Timothy chapter 4. I want to read verses 3 through 5. This is an example of things that slip through the cracks today. This is something that has been foretold in the New Testament that would happen in the last days, it's happening now, and people are clueless to it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. How much does that happen today? But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Also, for you, always be sober-minded and endure suffering. Do the work of the evangelist and fulfill your ministry. So verses 3 and 4, there's a warning that people will, they will leave the faith. They will leave the truth. They will follow people just because they are telling them what they want to hear. And yet, how many people continue to do this? They're clueless to the fact that this is going on. There's a lot of other things that we are told in scripture that would happen and people are clueless to. So when we look at this event here, when we look at what's going on with the people and how they do not believe the signs that Jesus is performing, um, or not, they believe in the signs, but they don't believe in Christ as the son of God, we need to take note and take that very seriously. Like, what are we doing with what we believe? What's our, what has been our response to what God has done in our lives? I don't know about you, but God has done some amazing things in my life. Amazing things where I cannot, I cannot give credit to anyone else or anything else. And those things have helped to solidify my faith. 
They've helped me to realize that God is real, he's powerful, and he is working for our good. But many times, we just go throughout our day and we don't recognize God's sovereignty over our lives. We don't recognize his providence working in our lives. I mean, I'm I'm talking about even with the smallest things. Funny story, yesterday I was hanging up curtains. I've been hanging curtains in our house for the last three days or so. And I've been doing like three at a time just because your arm gets tired from doing this all the time, right? You're reaching and so I can do about three at a time. Well, yesterday I finished, but I, I saved the last curtains to, to do in our room. And as I, I have a, my system down already, I, I figured out a good system to do with it. You know, I end up measuring on each side. Um, I, I put the, uh, the fastener on and then I put the rod on with the curtain and it's all set. So I go to our room and I start measuring to uh, put the first curtain on. And I was supposed to do three inches above the windowsill. And then, uh, and then also, it was three inches on top, and then on the side, I, I was going to come out, I think, uh, an inch and a half with those particular curtains. So I go, I do the first one. I'm like, okay, great. And then I go to do the second one. I measure it off. And then I align the curtain rod. I put it in the bracket, and then I align the curtain rod to match up with this side. I call my wife and ask her, can you come and please tell me if it's straight? She comes and she's like, no, that's way off. So I start here, and I'm like, I don't understand, that's three inches. I take, it, I take that part down, I go back, I measure that side, three inches. And like, I, like any, nothing has changed, but then I go ahead and put it back up and I say, is it straight now? It's the same place. She's like, no, still crooked. So I go up, up, up. I end up going a little bit higher. I go two, two inches higher than the, than the three inches, so I go a total of five inches, and it's straight. And I sit there, and I look at the other side, and I'm like, how did I get five inches on the other side? I was only supposed to go three, and that's it. I'm like, man, this doesn't make sense. I'm going to have to take it all down now. Now I'm going to have to get some putty to put in the wall because I've drilled holes in there. I've done everything, and so I was starting to get upset. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it with the curtain attached to it just to see how it looks. So I go, and I put the curtain on, and I lift it up where it's, it's, it's flush, it's level. It's five inches, and I lift it up, and I call my wife. Alicia comes in the room and looks down, and I'm like, "Hun, how's, it, how's the, the space between the floor and um, the window? Or the floor, yeah, the floor and the windowsill. And she's like, oh, it's perfect. And I sat there and I thought, man, thank God for his providence. Here I am, my mistake, I was supposed to measure three inches. Somehow I measured five inches. And yet that's exactly what I needed for it to be perfect. And now something like that small normally doesn't get me thinking, but I guess I had this sermon on my mind and I just thought, I thought, Lord, how many times has that happened in my life? Where I, I think I know better, I think I've done things right. And I've completely messed up. And yet the Lord in his providence has directed my steps. It's amazing. 
And something that small might pass us by, but we should not let it pass us by. Because God is involved in those type of mistakes. We think, well, he's only involved in the big things. No, he's involved in everything. What happens in our lives, what we see God do from the biggest things, from the biggest things to the smallest things, we need to take them seriously. John explains to us why they did not believe. And this is where we transition to the last part of the sermon. He ends up showing us that it was a heart condition that caused them to be spiritually blinded. So the people were blinded by their sin. Let's look at verse 40. Uh, Verse 40 reads, He, speaking, this is the, the second prophecy that John gives. He, and it's speaking of God, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now this is, here John cites um, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. And that's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. This is where, um, this is where Isaiah sees a vision of, of the Lord. And what's very interesting to hear in this passage is that this passage points to the fact that it was a pre-incarnate Christ that Isaiah was seeing. There are many theologians that believe that, that that's what he saw. He saw a pre-incarnate Christ on his throne. Um, I, I, I happen to believe that too as well. This, that's what Isaiah saw. And what's amazing about this is that notice, notice the, um, the words that are used here in verse uh, 39 and 40. Actually, uh, 39 says, therefore, they could not believe. So far, we've been saying they would not believe. But John says they could not believe. And then he explains why they could not believe in verse 40. I think that's very important. But in in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10, um, this is after after Isaiah sees, uh, he sees God. He sees Christ high and exalted. And when he sees him on his throne, it's a beautiful picture. It says that the, 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 his robe filled the temple and the seraphs were singing and it was just too much for Isaiah. And after he saw the, the, the holiness of, of, of Christ in this vision, the holiness of God in this vision, uh, his response was one of dread. He, he wanted to die. He saw the pure holiness of God in the vision and just seeing it in the vision itself, he wanted to die. That's the response anybody has whenever God uh, shows himself. Now, we know that God has never showed himself uh, in, in all his glory to anybody because no one would be able to withstand that. But, but here, Isaiah is given a glimpse of the glory, and yet he wants to die. So Isaiah repents of his sin, and he wishes himself to be dead because of the fear he had of God's glory and majesty. But in this story, in Isaiah chapter 6, we see we see a story of grace, a response of grace uh, on God's part. God cleanses them from his sin, and he commissions Isaiah to speak to the nation of Israel on his behalf. So it's this wonderful picture of, of Isaiah being uh, humbled, and, been given, and he's given grace, and then he's commissioned to go and speak. Beautiful, beautiful passage. 
But a lot of people don't realize what comes next, what comes after Isaiah has been sent. Because it's that wonderful response, who will go? And Isaiah's like, hey, send me. I'm going to go. Send me. And we see that enthusiasm. He wants to go and witness. But as soon as he goes and witness, you think like, if you're sent by God like that, you would think like, once you preach your first sermon, like 3,000 people are going to come and respond. You would think that, but it didn't happen that way. Verse 10, which is what we just read in verse 40, reveals to us that no one listened to him. No one responded to the, to the gospel message in the Old Testament. How about that? No one responded. And God revealed it to Isaiah that no one would respond and that no one would believe his message. Why? I get this. Because God, God had blinded their eyes and he had hardened their hearts. That's why. He had blinded their eyes and he had hardened their hearts. John's using, he's using this prophecy. He's using the same application to the people here in Jesus' day who are rejecting Jesus' mighty works and his words. Now that's really heavy. That's a heavy, heavy passage. The fact that God had blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts means that, what it means is that he removed his grace from them. We see it in several examples in, in, in the Bible. I mean, Pharaoh, probably in the Old Testament, that probably just like really stands out to everybody. He's one great example. But there are many, many more. Uh, even more from the Old Testament, Cain, Cain's another example. Uh, King Saul's another example. What does that teach us? What does that tell us? Well, something very important. It teaches us and it tells us that in order for anyone to be saved, God has to extend his grace towards them. He is the one who has to soften their hearts. He is the one who has to open their eyes so that they can see him. There was a, an example that someone shared with me. I think it was Pastor Laramie one time we were talking and he had heard it from somebody else. And I've also heard other uh, preachers use this illustration, but it's a great illustration of how, um, you know, God are removing his grace from you, how the hardening of the heart takes place. But it's an illustration of a clay pot. And when the potter is, 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 has the, uh, the, the pot, when, he, when it's wet, he has his hands on it, it stays soft and it can be moved, it can be shaped. But once the potter removes his hands from the clay pot, it just sits there and it hardens. And that's a great illustration of what happens to our hearts if God's not involved. If the potter doesn't put his hands on us, if he doesn't touch us with his grace, we just sit there and we are hard and we do not see. God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have mercy on whom I'll have compassion. Another great biblical example of this hardening process is given to us here in our own passage, and we'll close with this. Look at verses 41 through 43. 
Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now that's where I was talking about where uh, Isaiah saw the pre-incarnate Christ because spoke of him is referring to Jesus. Now verse 42, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Now verse 43, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So here we go. Here's another example that John has given us. He's given us an example. He's been talking about how these people don't believe and how their, their hearts are hard. Uh, they cannot see the Lord. And here we have people who almost believe. It's like, oh, he's doing these great works. I want to believe in him, but you know what? It costs too much. I can't do it. What will people think of me? What will happen to my, my position uh, in this city, in this town? What will happen to me? What will, what will be the effects of what, what the choice I've made? I, just, I can't do it. The cost is too much. It's no different than the rich man. I can't leave all my riches. Well, there's something holding these people back too. And the fact is, is that they, they saw the uh, opinions of man, the glory of man higher than that of God. John gives us a biblical example of exactly what he's talking about. Now I want us to consider what we've heard today. Consider the drastic differences of people's response to Christ. In Isaiah, in Isaiah you had Isaiah who saw the glory of the Lord. He was able to see. Why? Because God allowed him the opportunity to see. And what was his response? Repentance and faith. But then the people he went to go preach to, they didn't believe. And you sit there and you say, wait a second, how can they, how can they not believe? We saw what Isaiah, I mean, you know, we read what Isaiah saw in his response, and then it's totally opposite for these other people. Why? Because they did not see it. They did not see his glory. Then we go back to our passage here in John chapter 12, and it talks about how many saw the works of Christ and they were afraid. It talks about that all through the gospel of John. And those who believed, they repented. But there were so many others who heart, whose hearts were hardened and they did not believe. And you, you're sitting there asking the same questions. How can they not believe? My question to you this morning is where do you stand? What have you done with the gospel you have heard? What have you done with seeing God's providence being played out in your life? Where do you stand this morning? You have all seen the works of God. and Do you still not believe? What's it going to take? What's it going to take where we finally just trust him? It's going to take us denying ourselves, right? And following him. Think of what any, any problem you have in your life, any situation, any struggle you have right now. Why are you not trusting the Lord? 
Hasn't he shown you his glory? His power? Brothers and sisters, I want you to see with your eyes. Understand that God is God alone. Once you see and understand, repent. And the promise that John gives us all the way back from Isaiah is that he will heal you. And I want to give you a reminder that the people got, the same reminder that the people got in John chapter 12, you only have a little time left. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. Let us pray.